And so many people's lives are so much better because of the work that's being done there. So thank you for sending your missions dollars there. And um, over the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to be collecting some money for Eden. So if you want, go ahead and um, you can mark that. Or if you give online, there'll be a tab to give to Eden that way. Uh, we'll be doing that over the next couple of weeks. But I, I promise you it is worthwhile ministry. And as we start our sermon time together this morning, uh, I just want to pray for them. So would you join me in praying for Eden Ministries? God, you are good and you are faithful. And we thank you for what you do and we thank you for your servants. God, we thank you for Eden Ministries and uh, the impact that they are making. God, we pray that you would continue to work through them to reach people with the message that Jesus came to redeem them and that Jesus paid a heavy price for them, that they that person is infinitely valuable to God. God, would you take that message as far as it can go uh, through the voice of Eden Ministries, through their clinic, through their sports program, through their schools, through their orphanage. God, would you take that message as far as it can go? We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we ended our sermon by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. And this week, I want to start by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Here's what Solomon has to say. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. Many of you are going to nod along with that. You're going to say, well, that's, that's good, right? Even, even if you have reservations about church, you, you realize, hey, I, I'm situationally aware. I'm, I'm in a church, and that sounds like a, a pretty churchy thing to say. Sounds like something that, that Christians would agree with. So you're going to go, all right, all right, I, I can handle that. Um, based on my situation, I'm good with that. But, but there's a problem with this verse. It's not that Solomon's saying anything wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. Solomon's absolutely right when we read Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Um, again, he's not saying anything wrong. This verse comes at the end of Solomon's great social experiment on himself. He's, he's tried everything. He's tried every way to find satisfaction and worth. And, and that's where he's landed. It's not that Solomon's wrong. The problem is that most of us don't recognize that we disagree. We don't recognize that we disagree. So I'm going to give you the main idea, and then we're going to go about explaining it just a little bit. It's hard to fear God when you think you are God. It's hard to fear God when you think you are God. Now, none of us think we should be worshipped, hopefully, uh, but... One of the hardest things in our lives is letting God be in control. It's hard to let God be in control because it means I'm not in control. right? If we say, God, you're in control. God, you're piloting me. It means that I'm not piloting me. And I kind of have my best interest at heart. I kind of know what my preferences are. I kind of know what I'd like to see happen. I kind of know where uh, my comfort level is when it comes to safety and faith. And, and so if we say, God, you're in control, it means that I'm not in control. And it doesn't matter who you are, that 
is an uncomfortable proposition. None of us think we should be worshipped. But none of us think that our lives should be different than our preferences allow for. We sure like to say that God's in control, but we sure like to be in control. It's kind of like drowning. You know what people do when they're drowning? They flail. They thrash. They panic. They fight as hard as they can to just stay above water for as many seconds as possible. And you know what happens? A lot of times they end up making things worse. When the Coast Guard trains their elite rescue swimmers, one of the key elements of their training is how to subdue a drowning victim so they can be saved. Doesn't that sound a little backwards? They train rescue swimmers to subdue drowning victims so that they can be saved. If I'm drowning, the last thing I want is to be subdued. I don't want my arms pinned at my side. I don't want somebody's arm around my throat. But a lot of times, that's what it takes for a drowning victim to be saved. It sounds odd, but that's what it takes. I'm kind of like that too. I'm just going to be a little vulnerable with you this morning. I'm kind of like that too. I don't know how your life goes, uh, but sometimes I just feel like I'm drowning. Okay? Right, maybe you don't, and I'm the weird one, but uh, I just feel like I'm drowning sometimes in life. There is more to do than I can accomplish. There are problems that I can't solve, pressure that I can't hold up under, expectations that I can't meet, and I just drown. What do we do when we're drowning? What do I do? I start thrashing all over the place, right? I look like a Muppet baby who's in the middle of a song. It's not pleasant. I try to do anything. I grasp at anything to hold on to, trying to just stay afloat for a second longer. But what God says is a little bit different. He says, just be still. Just be still and know that I am God. Stop thrashing. Stop flailing around. Stop trying to grasp at everything. Stop trying to be perfect on your own. Stop making a vow to yourself that this time will be different, that you'll work harder, that you'll stay up later, that you'll get your temper under control on your own, and that everything will just be okay, and you'll be better next time, and just be still. And know that I am God. Just be still and let yourself get rescued. It's easier said than done. I don't know about you, but I kind of like to be in control, especially of me. It's human nature. We have a lot of life experience that says you can do it. We got a lot of life experience that says you can do it. If you just try harder, if you just thrash about for a little longer, you're eventually going to make it to shore. And we just keep hearing you can do it. We have a whole life of hearing that. So think about how life goes. Baby, newborn baby, really can't do anything. Except for... I, I get it. They can. Right? There's, there's a few things a newborn baby can do. Right? They can steal your heart and spend all your money and make you late for everything for the rest of your life and rule your time. But other than that, a newborn baby can't do anything. 
as they grow, they start to be able to do things. They can hold their heads up, and then they can start to use their hands. And then they start learning how to crawl, and what do we tell them? You can do it. They start learning how to walk, and they fall every three seconds, and we tell them, you can do it. Then they become a toddler, and we say, you can't do that, but it's too late. <laughs> say, you can do it. You can talk. You can do it. And then they go to school, and they get frustrated with their math homework, and what do we tell them? You can do it. And they go to high school, and we say, you can't do that. But again, it's too late. Start learning how to hit a baseball or a volleyball. What do we tell them? You can do it. They start applying to colleges and they think, I don't know if I can get into this one. This might be too good of a school. And what do you say? You can do it. And they get married. I don't know. I think I might be too selfish to be married. You can do it. You start having kids. I don't think I'm qualified for this at all. You can do it. We have this whole life experience where we hear, you can do it. And for the most part, we can. God gives us incredible resources as we go through life. And that's great when we remember who God is and who we are. But one of the things that people are best at is trusting in our competencies instead of trusting God. So we trust our sight. We trust our strength, our success, our wealth, our wisdom, our popularity, our power, and we relegate God to an hour on Sunday morning that we still want to conform to our preferences anyway. It's hard to fear God when you think that you are God. And Solomon knows this. He knows because he did the same thing. Right? He's, not, he's not speaking from some theoretical point of view here. He's experienced this. He knows that it's hard to fear God when you think you are God because he thought he was God. So we're not hearing from somebody who's looking down on us. We're, some, we're hearing from somebody who's speaking on our level. Solomon knows this. He relied on himself, and looking back, he saw the error of his ways, and he wants us to know that we're capable of falling into the same trap. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 1, is his last argument before he gets to verse 13, which says, Fear God and keep his commands. Um, by the way, um, just, just so you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 1, you're not going to like this, okay? You're just, you're just not going to like this, but um, this is the Bible, and so if you've got a problem with it, it's not me. Take it up with, you know, God, okay? But just, just fair warning, okay? This isn't me. I, I, can't, I can't reiterate that enough. This isn't me. Okay, you ready? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse one, here's what Solomon has to say. He says, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life isn't pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars is dim to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Did I mention that this isn't me? Very, I just want you to make sure you get that. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding, and before your eyes, the women looking through the window see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but all their sounds will grow faint. 
Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper, and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you are young. For the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to the God who gave it. Did I mention that this isn't me? Okay. So again, if you've got a problem, is take it up with God. Okay. So um, let me tell you what Solomon's saying here, and then we're going to dive in and look at this a little bit more closely. What Solomon's saying is it doesn't matter how you rely on yourself, it will eventually fail. Doesn't matter how you rely on yourself, it's eventually going to fail you. So if you rely on your incredible intellect, at some point in your life, that's going to start to deteriorate. If you rely on your incredible strength, at some point, you're going to get weaker, and on and on it goes. So let's look at a little bit of what he's saying here, and then we're going to draw some conclusions, all right? Uh, Verse 2, remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dimmed to your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. If you rely on your eyes, um, that's fine. They come in handy. Uh, Just know that eventually they're going to get worse. Eventually they're going to get worse to the point where you can't rely on them. I happen to know something about this. I have contact lenses in right now. If I didn't, I would know that there were people out there. Um, But I wouldn't be able to identify any of you. I would know that there's a music stand here. Uh, but I wouldn't be able to read what's on it, right? If I didn't have my glasses or contacts in, this is how I would read my sermon to you today, right? I know what it's like to have poor eyesight. Our vision's a gift from God. We use it every day, but one day it's going to fail. One day we won't have vision that's correctable enough to drive. One day we're going to struggle to read the words on the page. One day, one day... One day. The vision's good, but it's not going to last forever. Verse 3, remember him before your legs, the guard of your house start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Solomon's talking about strength here. It's nice being strong. I kind of like it. I'm pretty strong. I enjoy weightlifting. That's what I do to relieve stress, so uh, I do that quite a bit. Uh, I'm not being cocky. I just I enjoy lifting weights. Uh, but the other day, I was working out with a friend of mine, um, Tim Woods. I don't know if any of you guys know Tim, but his wife is the nurse over at West Washington Elementary. Uh, and I knew that Tim was strong. I didn't quite have an accurate picture of how strong Um, But we were working out together the other day, and uh, we were using the same machine, and I thought, this is great. We're going to, you know, we're going to push each other. He's strong. I'm strong. It's going to be great. And so we do our first set, and I'm feeling pretty good. Tim does his first set, and I thought, boy, that's kind of easy. And then then he does something a little weird. He put on some weight on either side, and I thought, boy, that's different. I probably wouldn't have done that. And so I do my set, and I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I get it out. I'm feeling pretty good. Did all 10. That was awesome. Tim does his. Doesn't struggle at all. I said, all right, Timothy, game on. He puts more weight on. Again, weird decision. Probably wouldn't have made it, but he did. So I get five out, and my eyes are popping out of my head like somebody's squeezing me. And then I, uh, 
I put it back on the rack with a little bit of assistance. Tim does his 10 without any problem. He says, you want to add some more weight? I took a second to compose myself to make sure I responded like a Christian. That's a lie. I took a second to be able to breathe. And I said, what I need is an oxygen mask. I know that I'm strong right now. I know that uh, one day I'm not going to be that strong. I know that Tim is strong now, and I know that one day he's not going to be that strong. No matter how strong we are, doesn't matter what we do, one day our strength will eventually fail. Welcome to church. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding. What's he saying here? He's saying that one day your teeth are going to retire. You're going to say, we put in our full time, guys, we are moving to Florida. Not a huge deal, right? You can get a replacement team. Um, but what, what, do we, what do we think about our teeth? I don't know about you, I don't think about them very often until something goes wrong. One day something's going to go wrong. We're not going to be able to rely on the home team anymore. Now, now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's going to come a day when you get up before the birds, but you won't be able to tell because you can't hear them. I'm going to be honest with you. This one hits a little close to home for me. Um... I get up early. I like to start my day at 5.30. I know some of you are farmers and you're going, I've been up for three hours at that point. It's early for me, okay? I get up at 5.30 uh, and I have a lot of friends who ask me, Tony, how do you get up so early? That's, you know, that's really early. And you know, here's what I tell them. I say, you know, it takes a lot of, a lot of discipline, a lot of, you know, a lot of just self-control. You got to go to bed early and it's, that's not the truth. That's why I tell them it's not the truth. The reality is at 5.30, I've had to go to the bathroom for 40 minutes and I can't take it anymore, Okay? I get what Solomon's saying here, right? One, one of these days, let's, let's just be honest, okay? When, one of these days, you get up with the first chirping of the birds, and probably a couple hours before the birds started chirping, and a couple hours before that, right? And, and you're going to have to take a little bathroom break, and you'll go back to bed, but you'll get up before the birds start chirping, but you won't even be able to hear the birds. Let's keep, but I mentioned this isn't me. This isn't me, right? You guys can't stress that enough. All right, let's keep moving. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. And the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Verse 5 just seems a little excessive, doesn't it? It's like, we got the point a long time before this, Solomon. So let's just do this, okay? At a certain age, you understand what Solomon's saying. You don't need me to explain it. So I'm going to talk to uh, some of the younger people in the room who, who, are, who are thinking this is hilarious this morning, okay? Um, you don't worry about falling. You don't worry about falling. If you do fall, if you slip on ice or something like that, um, the, the scariest part is embarrassment. What are my friends going to think? You've probably seen a commercial for Life Alert, and uh, you thought, that's terrible acting. Actually, we all think that, but, uh, but you've never worried about falling. Someone you love has watched that commercial, though, and they've wondered, man, maybe I should get one of those. And someone you love has fallen, 
and they've been scared of, they've called for help. I've heard people that I love scared as they call for help, terrified that they broke a bone or a hip, and they were worried. We can't imagine what it's like to be afraid of falling yet, but one day we will. One day your hair's going to turn white. I realize this, that I'm, I'm balding and my beard is turning white. Okay, I get it, so don't point out that inconsistency with me later, okay? We don't have time for everything. We've got to move on, all right? One day the caperberry, <laughs> some of you thought our sermons on intimacy were over. Apparently not. Uh, one day the caperberry is no longer, I didn't write this, um, but uh, there's going to come a day when you and your wife or you and your husband, you're on vacation, nice romantic view, all alone, and you'll look at your wife and you'll say, honey, you're going to be really great right now? A nap. <laughs> a nap. Right? That's going to happen one day. This may not be how you think about today, but time doesn't discriminate. One day you will share these worries and share these desires, and one day you'll share these lack of desires. So back to everybody now. What's Solomon's point in saying all this? He does this to say one thing. He does have a point. He's not just, he's not just being brutal here. He does have a point. He's reminding us that we make terrible gods. We make terrible gods. It's easy to try and be our own God when our eyes are sharp and our strength is obvious and our teeth are all here. But guess what? We don't stay that way forever. Our eyes lose focus. Our bodies lose strength. Our teeth retire. Our sex drive slips into neutral. And one day it's going to dawn on us, I'm not God. I'm not God. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not going to live forever. I'm not rich enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not wise enough. Solomon says you're going to get to the point in your life when you really realize that I'm not God. And he says it's a lot easier to deal with that moment when you know who is God. So there's this one phrase that shows up consistently in the text we just read. Remember him before. Remember him before. Remember him before your strength fails. Remember him before your eyes fail. Remember him before your teeth fail. Remember him before you worry about falling. Remember him before your hair turns white. Remember him before. It shows up again and again, and it points us back to this phrase in verse 1. It says, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Remember that before you were born, God made all the delicate inner parts of your body and knit them together in your mother's womb. Remember that before anything existed, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that God is from everlasting to everlasting. He isn't going to lose his sight. He isn't going to lose his strength. He will never worry about his health. He will never wonder if his accomplishments will come undone. He is eternally powerful. He is eternally good. He is God. And no matter how successful you are, no matter how wealthy, wise, strong, or popular you are, you will never be God. And because of that, Solomon says this. That's the whole story. Here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments 
That's everybody's duty. For God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Why does Solomon walk us through the painful realities of aging? To remind us that we're not God. Sometimes it's easy to think we are, and it's hard to fear God when you think you are. There's wisdom in admitting there's things we can't do for ourselves. There's a lot of things we can do. We can do our math homework. We can walk. We can talk. We can get into college. We can get that job. We can do so many things, but there's wisdom in admitting there's things we can't do. We can't stop the passage of time on our bodies. And more importantly, we can't repair the damage of our sins. We just can't do it. There's a Bible word for that, this idea of repairing the damage of sin. It's called atonement. Atonement, to atone for sins. None of us can atone for our sins. But the everlasting God of creation who formed you in your mother's womb is a God of repair. I want you to take a look at what the Apostle John wrote later in his life. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. You've sinned. You've done things that are wrong, some things that you know immediately are wrong and cause you pain to think about them, and some things that well, your heart's become callous to and you don't even think about them anymore. And if we spent the rest of our lives trying to make up for those things, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. And that triggers a response in us, in all of us. It triggers a response in all of us. It makes us long for the past and it makes us fearful of the future. Because we say, I don't know what the future holds it could be worse. There could be a day when we electronically take communion. It could be worse. I don't know what the future holds, but it could be worse. I'm accountable for my sins in the future. I know the past. There were better times. I was more innocent then. But when we trust in the fact that Jesus came to atone for our sins, everything changes. When our hope is in Jesus, the future is less threatening and the past is less appealing. When our hope is in Jesus, the future is less threatening and the past is less appealing. Why? Because the future is one day closer to the return of Jesus as Lord. And the past is just a time when we were farther from God and closer to our sins. So praise God for the future. Praise the God of creation. Praise the God of redemption. Praise God for the future that we have in him. Praise God because he's worthy. He always has been and he always will be. And I don't know where you're at today, but if you're here and you've been living as your own God, I think you ought to change that. I think you ought to change it today, even if you're in the excitement of youth. I think you should... Remember him now before your strength fails. I think you should remember him now. I think you should start living 
with God as God and not you. And I want to invite you to come forward and publicly confess it. You don't have to say it this way, but what you'd be saying is, I make a terrible God. And I want to put my hope in Jesus Christ for my past, for my present, and for my future. If you need to make that commitment, I want you to do it. We're going to get ready and stand and sing together. I'm going to get out of Jacqueline's way so she can sing. And if you need to make Jesus your Lord and step off of the throne in your own life, I think today is as good a day to do it as any. So let's stand together and sing.